Welcome to OB Boss Babes, where we showcase female entrepreneurs, working professionals, community builders, and local makers and creators. Our podcast is all about babe supporting babes, learning about community builders, and of course, female empowerment. Get inspired to the only podcast in the Ottawa Valley that showcases local babes in our community and join our tribe of boss babes where everyone is welcome. The town of Smith Falls is a growing and vibrant rural community of 9,500 people and is a regional hub offering healthcare, education, recreation and shopping, and dining services to the surrounding areas in Lanark County, making us an ideal place to live, visit, and do business. The town of Smith Falls is committed to the success of growing businesses throughout its community, offering opportunities for new investment and business growth. If you are a business owner looking for resources, grant or funding information, training or networking events to help you start or grow your business, then check out the Town of Smith Falls events community calendar for an array of business support in Smith Falls in the region. Be sure to visit smithfalls.ca and subscribe to our community events calendar so you never miss another local event. Hello, 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 and welcome to the OV Boss Babes podcast. I am joined by Tori Baker-Reed and Catherine Baker-Reed from the Thrive Center in Smith Falls. Thank you, Holly. Tori, I want to start off the conversation with you. So you're a registered social worker and counselor. So what initially sparked your interest in this profession? Great starting question. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've grown up with actually a lot of dysfunction and, and it was often hidden, which I found kind of surprising that, you know, we wouldn't just be able to sort of speak out and say we need help. And, and I still find there's that, there's a shame and, a, you know, a, a feeling like you're not good enough. You haven't been successful enough. If you need mental health support, and I, I just find it's, it's nowhere else. If we're injured, we can seek a doctor and there's no judgment. We break a bone, we can get a cast and there's no judgment. You know, but when it comes to mental health, especially in the world we're living in today, um, it's brutal. And and so growing up, I, I sort of watched it all around me and people not really being served and helped. And it just really piqued my interest at an early age. I think I was a social worker by the time I was in middle school. I just didn't know it. It's interesting eh, how far we progressed and openly are talking about mental health. But it it makes me really sad to think back at a time where it wasn't talked about and women especially weren't able to, to openly have these conversations. And I think that, you know, social media has really allowed that dialogue to happen to allow women to have that voice, to be able to say like from everything from, you know, I don't want to have children or postpartum depression or just mental health awareness. And especially like, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, but especially around like mental health, where it's not a physical condition where people can't visually see it. And there still is that stigma around it. I think that every person that's a social worker is such a trailblazer because it was, it was taking that first step in that initiative to be able to say like, I want to get more educated on this and I want to be able to help people and let them have that voice. Yeah. Yeah. You make a lot of great points. And, and and even I know with, with some of Catherine's work really looking into there's that, that fellow you work with, who's a bit of a trailblazer himself with really looking at sort of toxic masculinity and that even 20 years ago, wasn't even spoken about. And, and now it's really sort of offering that support and really helping, you know, men understand that there's a place in, in mental health for them as well, you know, because that toxic masculinity can really sort of, um, oh my gosh, wear them down and they can't cry and they can't show their feelings and, mm-hmm. and it's it's overwhelming. So I think your point about social media really opening up areas that we've never really spoken about before that were really kept secret and hidden um, has really exploded. It's awesome. It really is. It's allowing everybody to have that voice and that sense of camaraderie, knowing that they're not alone. And the thing that really bothers me is when you're hearing people say like, oh, why is this an issue now? We never had these kinds of conditions or mental health, you know, like, or depression or PTSD. Like this was never a thing before. And it's like, yes, it's always been a thing, but people were conditioned to keep quiet about it and, you know, just act as if and carry on as if everything was okay. And it wasn't. I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine not talking about my feelings with other people, right? Like, and to know that, you know, people still have that stigma and and are still conditioned, you know, to keep it to themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Catherine, let's shift over to you. So you're also a counselor and you're a life skills coach with a background working for over 25 years in the anti-violence movement. So how did you discover your passion for working with your community and, and advocating for survivors and come to lead you down this path? Well, I uh, somehow stumbled upon at Carleton University, the Peer Counseling Center, and I just sort of found my people, I think. And um, I loved everything about it, the training, the information, the idea of being compassionate and kind and just listening and um, not necessarily, especially in peer counseling, not necessarily telling people what to do, but giving them lots of options and things to think about and giving them a sounding board. And I was hooked. Um, I ended up then volunteering at the uh, Sexual Assault Support Center of Ottawa on their 24-hour crisis line. And uh, they mentored me into group facilitation and one-on-one -on -one support. And I actually eventually ended up getting hired by them. So that really started my path in working um, to end, you know, to end, ideally work towards ending some violence in society, um, to working towards like a greater good, to supporting community. So it's just been a passion since I started with that work way back at Peer Counseling Center. Catherine, I'm interested in learning more about how you became a life skills coach. So what exactly is that? Because I think that the lines can kind of get blurred a little bit because there's so many coaches out there nowadays, right? They can, they can. Yeah. Life skills is definitely more of a focused, like a solution focused work. Um, people who are coming in specifically for coaching um, would want to like maybe focus on like a big transition in their life. Uh, maybe it could be a change of work. Maybe it could be a change of relationship. For some people, it can also be a change in sort of their life's role. So retirement's a big one. Um, so people can often experience like a loss of identity or what do I do now or who am I now? So that's where like life skills coach coaching comes in, um, very sort of focused on that particular topic. Whereas in counseling, it's much sort of broader. Um, people tend to talk about their past and, you know, we already touched on trauma and the things that they've been through. Um, smaller pieces of that can be woven into coaching, but in general, the coaching is much more focused and it's, it's about creating um, the new, the next direction, the next steps for that person. Corey, in 2020, you actually trained in eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So mm. can you kind of tell me a little bit more about this therapy and how it works? I love this therapy. I just want to say, um, so I think a lot of people, you know, or some people have had experience maybe seeing it on, on TV where you follow a light bar, but it, it's any kind of bilateral stimulation. So it can be you know, this is a butterfly tapping, be tapping your legs. It can be listening to alternating beats, um, even little zappers in your hand, as long as it's alternating right, left, right, left. And it really accesses both right brain and left brain. And it has a really calming uh, effect on your nervous system. And I think a lot of systems get shut off. And when, when we're hurt, and that can be, it doesn't have to be like big T trauma, it can be little T trauma. It can be somebody who's really shamed in, in, in class and everybody laughs at him and there's a wounding. And when that happens, it really can lead to that memory becoming maladaptive. It doesn't get processed in our brain properly. And this is how sometimes survivors grow up thinking, oh, the abuse was my fault. Mm -hmm. You know, even when you were five or six or, you know, you're, you're beaten or whatever the abuse has, has um, ended up resulting in for you. And so, this this processing never gets um, managed well. And so bilateral stimulation has a way of calming down the system and, and almost like free association really acts, acts sort of um, accessing our adaptive information processing network in our brain. So you can actually start with a, a target. And as you do this bilateral stimulation, your brain just sort of takes it where it needs to go. And, and sort of the motto is for, us practitioners is just get out of the way let the brain do what it needs to do it's always searching for healing there's so much work actually energetically in suppressing emotion it is you know suppressing that trauma that woundedness when the brain gets that green light and that adaptive process takes over in the mind it, it can go really quick um, there's a lot of steps before we get to there in terms of history taking assessment really helping people understand what the process is but once that brain gets activated 
um, very quickly it, th those adaptive parts take over. And, and so you often have moments with clients where they'll be like going through sort of hard memories and and then something clicks and they're like, the, the adaptive part kicks in and they're like, oh my gosh, I, I was only five. Like, how could he? Or, you know, even if you've witnessed um, a natural disaster, you have a fear after a car accident, you do this, this bilateral stimulation and you get all of the agitated systems to calm down and let that brain sort of go and do what it needs to do. It really brings you to a, a place of understanding. And once you get there, then that memory gets stored properly the way it was supposed to, if it hadn't been caught up in the trauma, you know, the anxious nervous system really firing. Um, and, and then everything else disappears. So a lot of the the aches and pains we carry, a lot of the nervous response, a lot of that activation in our sympathetic nervous system is just gone once that adaptive part takes over. It really is quite, quite wonderful. So for like um, ambulance drivers, for police officers, for the, the people I work with in the military that carry a lot of trauma and a lot of blame or shame, you know, that adaptive memory processing is, is just really amazing in cutting through it sometimes quicker, well, most times quicker than um, just sitting on a couch and talking. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's honestly such an interesting aspect of your career. When I'm trying to like even try to put myself in someone's situation, I mean, I can't as a child like to think that you would go some go through something so traumatic where your mind is still developing and nobody should ever have to experience like any kind of trauma as a child. And so how I think of it is that if that happens, their their mind is still molding and developing. And so they don't know really where to put that memory. And so how I see it is that they're taking this memory and they're storing it way, way back in a file. Well, it's going to collect dust over the years and they're going to forget about it. But how does it start to resurface and for them to kind of start putting those pieces together, being like something happened to me? Like, I can't really access that file. I can't remember. Maybe I've lost the key or something, but I know that something traumatic happened, but their memory, their memory can't recover that. So like, how, how do you like bring that file for, to the forefront? Yeah. You know, a lot of ways. Cause I mean, sometimes trauma is preverbal. I mean, you don't have the words yet. You're so young, but you might have a, a somatic feeling or something happens and you're suddenly, um, you know, afraid. So we can understand it really with 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 veterans, right? They hear a car backfire and boom, they're on the ground with their back in Afghanistan. And we can sort of go, oh, I understand. But we don't have that same compassion for ourselves. And a, a quick example, and it doesn't have to be, again, Holly, big T trauma. There's, um, and I'm not disclosing any personal information. This was actually brought up in one of the EMDR trainings. You know, young boy playing on the stairs. His ball was his prized possession steep stairs it ricochets off the wall it's going down the stairs for a little year old goes barreling to the top of the stairs mother just happens to come out at that time panics grabs him gives him a spanking the only spanking he's ever had in his life um and and that that memory didn't get processed and so later in life and he never even really thought about it in therapy they probably covered out physical abuse oh yeah got a pretty good childhood but what started happening when he started going great relationship, great job. But when he started going after his dream job, he was overwhelmed with panic. That that silent program, that unprocessed memory, as you put it uh, so well, um, got activated. And he started having these panic attacks. He felt like he was in danger. And the simple connection through EMDR when, when you know, him, we started with that present memory. What's the panic? Well, we as EMDR practitioners, it wasn't my file. Um, so he starts the bilateral stimulation and just keeps going back and came back to that memory. And what the connection was, was when he started going for that dream job, just like when he was going for that ball, that prized possession, it was that small of a connection, right? That, that locked that memory in. So sometimes we're dealing with things that aren't necessarily big T trauma abuse. Again, they can be woundings, in, in little ways of, again, being singled out in the classroom, being teased for stuttering, for, you know, getting an answer wrong, for any number of things. Um, and, and, and so EMDR has a way of just, once you start activating your brain, that free association, it just starts going back through the, the channels and gets at those memories. Um, and so once, once that was uncovered for this fellow, 
again, what needed to be processed properly was processed. It wasn't even about the spanking. It was the connection between I'm going after what I want. And now again, that same feeling of excitement, I'm going after this dream job, boom. And, and the past comes on him, that, that panic being grabbed by his mother, the, the fear of, of, of being spanked. And, but for him, it's just an emotion. And our brain doesn't say, Hey, you know, adult person, this memory's just been triggered. So you're going to feel this panic that you felt. You're going to feel this, this, and this. Just breathe through it. And it will be gone in a minute. But because we don't understand what's been triggered and why we're suddenly feeling so scared, which so many survivors go through, you, you don't understand what's happening. It kind of feels almost like you are going crazy. Like, I don't understand where this panic is coming mm -hmm. from. So a lot of survivors, a lot of people come in because they started having panic come up or anxiety and they have no way of understanding where it's come from they don't know what's been triggered so emdr is really great um at, at really helping people um chase that back and and find what we call the touchstone memory that started it now what does the repair and recovery process look like once that memory is accessed it's pretty awesome because once once you're there again there's there's such there's such a recovery of that that memory. Um, again, not necessarily memory; it can be a somatic as well. Um, so you've found that memory, and then you actually very much the same way as you're doing the bilateral stimulation, you would add in what should have always been there. So if we're working with somebody and um, we start with a negative cognition, what's the belief they have about themselves? If we're with this boy, what's the belief? I I could never get my dream job. I, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. That's his negative cognition. What would you rather believe about yourself? Do anything I want. Okay, so now we've processed the memory. We've we figured out what the touchstone memory is. And now we tap in that that positive memory of I can do whatever I want. Um, and, and so that's the installation part of um, the EMDR. Um, and, and so once that memory is in, that, that sensation is installed, it usually is an easy transition from just not experiencing anymore the mm -hmm. any of the discomfort um, because again the memory's been processed and put away in the way it should have been back when the, when the situation happened or the wound had happened or the trauma happened. Does somebody ever really recover from PTSD or or traumatic events? I've, I've seen it over and over and and I mean um, EMDR um, has been so fantastic working with again survivors people again that have witnessed you know horrible trauma uh, war um, EMDR has a beautiful um, payback sort of give back practice so anytime there's a, a, a disaster or like 9-11 or the war that's going on in Ukraine um, calls go out all over the world to EMDR practitioners. Can you donate services? Can you donate free sessions? Because it is so effective. I mean, it actually really got a kickstart from the Oklahoma bombings. I back, not sure how old you are, if you remember that, but um, they really brought in a, a team of EMDR specialists to really help the police on the scene, um, the ambulance, all of the the crew really sort of digging out of that rubble because um, it, it's so fast at working through that trauma, especially when there's a recent event. Um, there's a whole protocol for a recent trauma and it's, and it's really fast and effective. So it's not to say that your trauma can't be triggered again, but it, it's become so small and manageable that you're like, okay, you can give that sort of loving energy and support and, and take care of it in a way that's so much more manageable. So I've seen it over and over again. I, I'm sure in Catherine's work, she probably has a lot of examples of that as well. Um, I think that's part of the the, the beauty and um, the appeal to this work is really helping people get from this side, the other side where they can actually start living a, a better life, mm -hmm. uh, free from trauma and those grips of, of what they've gone through. Now, you both have received training in psychodrama therapy at the Hudson Valley Psychodrama Institute in Highland, New York, and you both offer psychodrama and psychodramatic bodywork. What is this and what are the main differences between the two? Um, so psychodrama really is like, um, it gives you an opportunity to almost combine dramatic arts and, and trauma. So somebody might want to work on a, a piece of trauma and there's a lot of ways that you can do it. You you can sort of react uh, what you went through. Um, and in doing so, again, you get insights in a way that um, it's so experiential. Um, 
so in acting out the drama, I mean, there's so many things that you can do. You can um, choose a different ending. Um, we use psychodrama. If somebody had um, a major loss in somebody's past and they never had a chance to say goodbye, you could, you know, bring them up on stage or if we're doing it in the clinic, um, you know, they imagine somebody sitting there. If they've come in with somebody, somebody can play that part and, and you verbalize out loud. Um, you know, all those feelings and, and those goodbyes. And, and our brain is kind of a beautiful thing in that we can kind of trick it sometimes. I mean, if I say, hey, I'm holding a banana, you know, it's a pen. But again, if you pretend to laugh or uh, give messages to your brain, your brain is really receptive on picking it up. They're not going to say, uh, you're really talking to somebody else. That's really not your your father that's passed away. Your brain just goes with it. Um, and And so a lot of healing really happens through this process. I mean, some people have to do the psychodrama two or three times to really get that. They'll still feel, depending on the loss, you know, psychodramas where people have um, uh, healing from, you know, neglect growing up. And and every, every drama is different. Some people might want to sort of be held and go through developmental stages um, and being spoken to by different members of, of uh, a group. Um, other people would like to go back to a, a trauma drama um, and have somebody go in on their behalf and and get the abuser and put them into jail. And and again, what happens in the mind is 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 such a such a lovely healing. Um, it's just a yeah, it's it's beautiful. Where the psychodramatic body work is actually looking at actually releasing emotions through fear, anger, and sadness. So um, sometimes working again with um, you know, people in those stressful environments, uh, you know, again, military veterans, they hold a lot of anger inside. So we have in the clinic tackle dummies and um, fear mats. So um, they would, you know, release anger on the tackle dummy and it really can sort of unblock a lot of the trauma they're holding. Because again, when we plead with a lot of anger, we're usually trying to protect those vulnerable parts that don't want to come out. And so you release that anger often you have a, a big flood of emotions, tears, or sometimes even exhilaration. And it's a really healthy way to experience anger other than suppressing it or, you know, um, lashing out. And you can do the same with fear and sadness. They're just emotions that we're not really taught well um, how to manage in society. We, we don't do a good job at any of them. Mm -hmm. So psychodrama and psychodramatic body work is a, a great way um, experientially to explore um, getting your feelings out through movement or reenacting parts of your past that you would like to do over again. Interesting. Yeah, this this is such an interesting topic. Now, Tori, earlier you were talking about tapping. So emotional freedom technique tapping, which draws on the traditional Chinese medicine practice of acupuncture. What are the benefits to tapping? And how does it work? Like when you're saying tapping, like what exactly does that all entail? Um, well, you usually start with your karate chopper, they say, and you just bring up whatever you're sort of working on. So if somebody's working on anxiety, they might be, oh, this anxiety, you know, it, it, it feels so, so difficult. I, I feel it in my stomach. And when I think about this anxiety, I, it makes my heart start racing. And, and so for the first minute or two, you just sort of tap on, on this, this pressure point. Um, and again, it's activating the body. And then you can go through a series of touches, usually the top of your head. Uh, in between your eyebrows, uh, your temple spot, um, clavicle, and then along your side. And it's it's really amazing in that, again, it's activating um, different points. One of the benefits is, is it's something you don't need a counselor for. So a lot of clients that have limited sessions, or I sometimes have parents saying, oh, you know, I wish I could, you know, help my my daughter, my son, my uh, friend. I always recommend tapping because you can go on YouTube and you can Google tapping and it's a pretty safe process. The same with, um, I recommend it um, sometimes when people can't even come on video, too much shame, too much embarrassment about what they've gone through. Again, a lot of that's my fault. I can't talk about it. So you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to talk about it until you're ready or ever, but you can go on to YouTube and Google tapping and recovery from sexual abuse, tapping and recovery from oh my gosh, from, from cancer, from depression, from anxiety, um, you can tap for confidence. So far in the, the past several years, I've never Googled anything for a client that they're working on, tapping plus whatever, mm -hmm. and it's come up empty. 
So one of the great benefits of tapping is anybody can do it. Um, if you, you're low on cash or you don't have money, you can tap every day. You can tap several times a day. It's like a little mini counseling session. Um, and, and again, very much like EMDR, um, tapping started using war vets and um, sexual assault survivors. Um, with some of the Vietnam vets stuck in traumatic memories for like 25 plus years and two, three, four tapping sessions, they they started to sleep through the night. I mean, their wives were calling the VA office going, I'm not sure what you're doing, but he hasn't had a nightmare in three days. And I've listened to him scream for the past 25 years. So whatever you're doing down there, keep doing it. And and so again, I, I think we have to really think about healing as inviting the body into the process more. Because when we're just talking, as we're doing now, we're kind of using the very tip of our brain, that frontal cortex, but where we store memories, where we store wounding, where we store trauma is below there. And so any way that we can invite the body into the process, getting up and acting it out, tapping, bilateral stimulation, I think it's the way of the future. And I think we're just at, at really the starting point. And there's some trailblazers like, again, Gabor Maté or or Bessel or Peter Levine that have really brought the science and the medical um, uh, lens to it. And, and finally sort of um, giving some of us old school practitioners the, the green light and, and finally the validation that what we're doing is right on point mm -hmm. um, because we do have to you know invite the body. Like they say, the body remembers when and the body keeps the score. And, and that's the way of the future. I think more and more we'll see it more and more these, these kind of interesting modalities being the norm. Hey babes, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of OV Boss Babes with our guests, Tori and Catherine from the Thrive Center in Smith Falls. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, but stick around because we've got lots more to talk about. Blackbird Medicines is a social enterprise that empowers others to heal and thrive offering one-on-one -on -one community healing justice consultations that are inspired by Kokum, Bashia, and Grandmother Moon wisdom through workshops and private events, mentorship, and custom programs tailored to your organization's or individual needs. Blackbird Medicine is proudly 100% First Nation owned and operated on the unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. Learn more by visiting www.blackbirdmedicines.ca. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Hello friends, Julia here from Ever After Bridal. We are a consignment boutique. We make it our mission to carry a well-stocked inventory of beautiful designer dresses and gowns, ranging in sizes 2 to 28. We offer a mixture of both pre-owned and new dresses for every special occasion. Our inventory includes gowns for brides, dresses for bridesmaids, and moms. We also carry gowns for prom, grad, and galas. We accept new inventory frequently, so there's always new dresses to choose from. Of course, we have all the accessories too. Consignment with Ever After Bridal is easy. You can make your application online prior to visiting us. Once we receive your application, we will notify you of your payout and fees upfront. An appointment is set, you deliver the gown, we take it from there. At Ever After Bridal, our focus is on you. Our bridal consultants offer private appointments for you and up to three of your besties in an intimate setting so that your experience is completely tailored to you. Take a look at our collections on Facebook and Instagram at Ever After Bridal Boutique Perth. Book your appointment on our website at ever-after-bridal.ca or visit us at 27 Gore Street East in downtown Perth. Your experience with us will make finding your perfect dress a memorable one. Say yes to the dress, Ever After Style. You're listening to the OV Boss Babes podcast with me, your host, Holly Molinar. Now let's get back to the podcast. So... In order to take the first step to therapy, we really need to be that self-advocate for ourselves or for others who don't have a voice. So for a child, for example. So when a child is going to a parent or a trusted adult and is saying, someone is hurting me, and mm. we need to have that self-advocacy part in ourselves to be able to vouch for ourselves, to be able to say like, 
I'm waving my white flag. I need some help, but I need to be able to be taken seriously. So how do you encourage patients and even the general public to be able to say, you need to be your own self-advocate so that you can get the help that you deserve because we're not mind readers. We don't know what you're thinking. We don't know what's going on, but we need to be able to find someone that we can trust that's going to listen and be there for our support system and to be able to help us get on that right track. I think sometimes just speaking about it and, and one of the great things that I'm seeing more and more and that I'm hearing clients sort of say, I started with the distress line or I started with the suicide hotline, or I started with, uh, again, at the sexual assault center, they, um, support center, they, they have a crisis line. And, and so, you know, sometimes it's just being able to reach out and, and talk in a, in a way where you can really feel heard and validated for what you're experiencing. Because sometimes that's the, that's the starting point is it's, it's too hard to call up and make an appointment and come into a clinic or to, you know, do what we're doing here online is it is like, it's too much exposure. So how can you, um, become aware of the resources and there's a lot of great um, crisis lines out there that are great starting points and even like kids helpline or there there's uh, now some hotlines for you know the uh, 2s lgbtqia community as well and and so i think that's a starting point is is i think when people reach out and they receive that sort of compassionate um, voice on the other end of the phone sort of saying, oh, yeah, no, I understand. That sounds really hard. You know, how how can I help? Um, it, it's a way of, of just developing your your voice. That would certainly be a great starting point. Um, Catherine, I don't know if you want to. No, I think her, you did a great job with that. I think the other piece, too, is that all of us around people who might be vulnerable or who might be young, like normalizing it, talking about it, talking about our feelings and saying to people, you know, it's, it's okay to tell me if you're finding this hard or checking in with young people um, on how they're feeling in general and, and going deeper than yeah, I'm good. You know, it was fine. Right. Like yeah. just really encouraging those conversations and saying, well, you know, did anything happen at school today? Did, did was there anything today that maybe made you feel uneasy or was hard for you to watch? Um, so just starting those conversations. And I think even between friends, you know, checking in on a deeper level and, and saying to someone, you know, it really looks like you're having a hard time. Is, is there anything that maybe either we can talk about or, you know, do you want some support in finding services? And I think the more that we do that and have those conversations, the more that people will feel able to, to reach out. That's so well said. Now, counseling is such an essential tool for dealing with a wide range of mental health issues that can affect your life, your routines and well-being. And seeing a counselor helps to recognize your feelings and experiences and learn useful remedies to cope with anxiety, build healthy relationships, improve your well-being and strengthen bonds with family and friends. And counselors and therapists, like they do come highly recommended, especially more than ever when people are pushing for mental health awareness and being mindful around people struggling. But should we all be seeing a counselor, even if everything in our life, in quotations, seems fine? Well, I don't know if we all have to see a counselor per se, but maybe kind of linking to what I was just chatting about, we should all be maybe having deeper conversations with safe people in our lives, right? I think a sounding board and getting out of our head is always a really good idea. But that being said, I mean... I want people, and Tori and I talk about this a lot, like we want services to be accessible for people because we do know that the financial piece can be a really big barrier. So this is where, um, whether you're accessing a nonprofit that's offering free services, whether it's a health unit, a good friend, um, or or someone in a more professional capacity, we do live in very um, troubled times. And we live in times where we're bombarded with so much information, even about what's going on in the world, never mind our own lives. So I really think that accessing support services is incredibly important. And sometimes we have to be a little strategic about how we're going to do that. So if there's a long wait list, you know, where else can you go? Or, you know, Tori mentioned support lines, which are wonderful or friends. But I do think that it's important that we all check in with ourselves. There's a lot of like competing and conflicting information out there telling us, our lives should be blissful and they should be so happy and everything should be great. <laughs> yeah. well, why doesn't my life feel that way? And, yeah. and then life is hard yeah. and, and it's okay. It's, it, it is hard for all of us. It's complicated for all of us to navigate. So the more that we're all just talking about that and we don't always have to be shiny, happy people all the time, I think 
I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I, and and I'm I'm more uh, yes, and I think everybody. I, I I don't think anybody ever escapes wounding. A lot of people I work with, um, we end up going back to the schoolyard and and those woundings that happen. Whether you're watching somebody be bullied, whether you couldn't stick up for your friend, whether you felt you had to participate in it because you just wanted to fit in so desperately, there's so much wounding that happens. And and then everything going on in the world. I mean, with with the wars and and you know teens and and uh, you know youngins really being you know so upset and, and rightly so about the state of the world and the climate and and what's happening with the world. And I think we just live in traumatizing world. So I think I think you know whether people want to or not. I think everybody could benefit from counseling. I yeah, I think journaling and writing is really powerful. And I think of counselors sometimes as, you know, your personal diary, except, you know, nobody's ever going to read what you write and we answer back. Right. And and I think it's just a therapeutic way, like Catherine said, of sort of checking in. It's um, I think it can benefit everybody. I wish everybody had a counselor yes. uh, of some kind. Or like Catherine was saying, you know, that that safe person that can be your sounding board. I feel I feel so lucky that I've got such a great support network in my life, but I recognize that not everybody has that. And when you're left alone with your thoughts, that can become so oppressing and and you can get to deep and dark places and not everybody has like that strength to pick up the phone or to book that appointment or the financial ability to be able to do that too, um, because there, there are those limitations. I think it's just like, it's taking that first step, recognizing like, I need to talk to somebody about this. I cannot be alone anymore. But that strength in order to get to that first step is so hard for some people. It's, But I think that what we were talking about early though, is that social media has opened up such a a huge platform to be able to allow people, like even the most introverted and quiet people to be able to find that safe space and community and to connect with people. And without, you know, like what you're saying, Tori, like without having to show your face, without having to be your actual identity, like you can still hide behind that, but still seek that support that you need. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some great channels out there on YouTube, the the crappy childhood fairy or therapy in a nutshell. I mean, two one is uh, really self-taught, um, the other, you know, very educated, and they they sometimes overlap and work together, and they're both brilliant, and they both give really great strategies on, hey, here's some some tips if you want to try and reduce your anxiety. Here's some tips if you're feeling overwhelmed in life, and and so it's it's a great sort of network that you can just tune into. Again, if you don't have the money, how can you sort of access services? Um, those, and I mean, there's so many, but they're particularly wonderful ones that I've, I've spent a lot of time on, you know, looking for resources for clients that just say, Hey, check, check this video out on mm-hmm. therapy in a nutshell or um, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of options. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Now I want to talk about normalizing therapy and how there are still some misconceptions around receiving therapy because some people still might have that response shaped by stigma or thinking that you have to be crazy or that maybe there's something wrong with you. I'm constantly like right now I'm going back and watching sex in the city. And there are so many errors in that show that they really screwed up on. And therapy was one of them. And I actually just watched an episode the other day where I think that uh, Miranda was seeking therapy and, and Carrie, uh, Carrie was like, Oh, you must be crazy. Looney tunes. And it's like, this show was supposed to be so pivotal in our time. And they made so many crucial mistakes in that regard. And I think that that's where those, those stereotypes came from is like thinking that you needed to ask for help. Then there was something wrong with you. And there is still that stigma. Unfortunately, that's associated, that's associated with that today. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we have not progressed and that it has not fully become accepted in today's society? Oh my gosh, that's such a, a huge question. Um, I, I think the the research that's coming out is going to take a long time for it to catch up with with mainstream. I mean, doctors, I, you know, some doctors only have to have like an hour on nutrition. Um, and, you know, if we look at sort of medically, I remember listening to Gabor Mate, sorry, Dr. Gabor Mate. Um, and one of the nurses said, you know, how how do we sort of bring real healing to to people? And and he said, you know, that's that's a bigger question because on one hand, it's it really is about the economy and what we invest in. And if you're coming in, a doctor can see like 30 patients, 20, 30 patients, depending on on the work that the nurse is doing up front and write prescriptions, you know, in a 90 minute period. But to sit there and sort of go, 
okay, yeah, this sounds hard. Um, you know, can I sort of, did anything change recently? Um, you know, what's been going on? Um, have you experienced any, um, you know, um, upsetting events? How is, how is your relationship going? How are things with your kids? Um, and, and the time it takes to really explore that uh, is, is so time consuming that it's so much easier to say, oh, I'm thinking Prozac would work in this situation. Here you go. You know, let me know. We'll come back in, in three months. So I, I think, you know, keeping, um, you know, uh, mental health as medicalized really serves, um, you know, big pharma. Um, it certainly is an easy way um, to out people. Um, you know, politically, professionally, it doesn't take much to um, shine the light of mental illness on on a politician, on a public figure to really rock the boat and, and sort of make them be cast in an ill light. So I think it serves, unfortunately, a lot of systems that, you know, capital, I don't want to get too political, but, you know, that are politically supported, that supports big pharma, that um, it, it serves to keep people down. It's a lot easier to keep people down than it is to really empower a nation um, and really support, you know, positive mental health and wellness. It takes a revolution. Um, and I think we're just, again, um, at the start of, of, of that, again, with some of these amazing researchers coming out with, with just the, the material, the evidence base that we need to sort of go, yeah, this, this is not the way we should be doing it. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things I feel like is really pushing forward with society are um, are celebrities with with large platforms. So one that initially comes to mind is Selena Gomez and her opening up about her bipolar disorder and normalizing that. Um, she was talking, you know, about her about her bad mental health that she suffered during the pandemic and and opening that dialogue and having that conversation in a documentary. And I just think that this is so crucial, especially to to a young audience that's watching that and and normalizing it, saying like it's okay, like and it's okay that she sought like sought out help for that and and she's put her her mental health and her wellness forward and making that a priority and I think that that's the biggest thing is that when you see it just as crucial as going to the doctor to be able to like get that broken bone or or get that medication for something that prescription putting your mental health and your or as we like to you know we're shifting the the way of how we say this your mental wellness putting your mental wellness first and employers recognizing that as well I think is huge absolutely and I I also um, wanted to add Holly you know, it's wonderful that people are talking about it more. And Corey wove a really important piece in there, which was that it's also not just medical. Mm. Because when we say someone's crazy, then we can dismiss them. Mm. And so there's less accountability. We don't have to, you know, Troy talked about systems. So if a survivor comes forward and is really upset about being harmed, um, people will say, well, look, they have post-traumatic stress disorder notice the disorder right it's being medicalized as opposed to saying actually this person's really been hurt and so we need to look at what happened to cause that harm as well and um, there's a lot of interesting schools of thought around how many people are actually bipolar versus how many people are traumatized and i think this is where getting help and getting support is great because people can start to take apart what might be a chemical imbalance, but that tends to be on the rarer side of things versus what might be what we call trauma-informed uh, lens, where we look at sort of what happened in your life that led to this. And both are valid. It's just important to look at both. But you're right, it's so important that people keep talking about this because that's how the healing happens is it, it comes out into the light rather than being suppressed and people being just pushed off the margins and, and dismissed. Catherine, you make such a great point. And this actually like kind of triggers something in me where I'm thinking about shows like Maury, Dr. Phil, where they would, this just makes me so angry. They yeah. would spotlight people and say like, on the next episode of Dr. Phil, this woman has multiple personality disorder. And I think you're right, Catherine, like removing the term disorder or like disability. Like my daughter was recently diagnosed with autism and I hate that, you know, ASD, you have that disorder part. No, she's on the spectrum. She's just operating at a different level. Like I hate the word disorder. And Catherine, I love that you touched on that, like remove that word from your vocabulary. And again, like let's normalize things that they've just gone through something traumatic in their life. Like, and I think that that's why, I think that's actually amazing that we have changed um, that medical history has changed that specific 
um, condition from multiple mm. personality disorder to now dissociative. I no, can't remember that. Exactly. Identity Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and I'm like, you're right. That's... Because if we label people, we don't have to change anything. Mm -hmm. But if we say, like with your daughter, she is she is neurodiverse, we need to shift how the world, you know, supports that experience. Mm -hmm. Rather than going, you have a problem, you go figure it out, you go get fixed, right? It it shifts the responsibility from the individual to the whole community the whole system on how do we make a world that is more welcoming and more supportive of someone who's neurodiverse or someone who's been through something really terrible and just needs support around it but could still but is still a really important and and, and vital part of the community mm -hmm. and just like just removing the non-judgmental aspect one thing that a girlfriend actually told me is be curious not judgmental and I think that that's such a great mentality to move forward with because instead of like looking at someone and being like why are they locked up in a room during a family dinner why are they not socializing well maybe they're dealing with something maybe they're going through some anxiety and that is how they deal like they decompress they're going to recollect themselves and then they're going to come back down and I'm just kind of like referring to like to things that are happening in my own family instead of everybody being like pss, 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 like what's wrong with so and so <laughs> like right but like having these conversations and someone being that advocate to stand up and say well maybe maybe they don't deal with social situations that well maybe during the pandemic put them back a little bit you know and they're trying to like learn how to do it or maybe maybe they just don't do well in social settings and that is okay and I think that like again we as parents we as women we as people are trying to like normalize things and understand people individually and be respectful of that I love that to be curious rather than judgmental. Right. I know I, I wrote it down. I, I think that's a, a new bumper sticker. Yeah. Yes. Curiosity, not judgment. Right. That lovely. Yeah. That's right? awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I might end up on our website. <laughs> we'll give you credit, Holly. There we go. <laughs> so as we're kind of closing in on our conversation, folks, how did the two of you initially meet because I really want to get into this, which is probably one of the first <laughs> questions I really should have asked you. And where did the idea to forge your backgrounds and skill sets together come to creating the Thrive Center? Well, you know what? Tori and I both went to Carleton University and, and I brought up the Peer Counseling Center earlier. We're both volunteers from the Peer Counseling Center. And that's actually where we met um, as student peer uh, volunteers. And uh, we rather fell for each other and uh, we've been together since 1995 Aww. and uh, yeah, married since, I mean, married now for over 10 years, but together for 28. Yeah. And um, we've always worked in the, the, the helping and, and support world, right? Like, so we've always, um, Tori worked as a social worker for more than 20 years, um, me as a counselor and working in the anti-violence movement. And when we made the big change to come back to the Ottawa region, you know, we had the option to go back into mainstream employment or, you know, work for ourselves. And so this has been a great adventure, a great journey in entrepreneurship and in creating a space that we wanted to, you know, really represent our beliefs and our values and our skills. So it's it's exciting. It's, it's a big step, right, to launch a business and to take that chance. And um, we've been really fortunate in that um, we do have a good, you know, flow of people coming in, especially on Tori's side of the business. Um, but yeah, this is sort of our, our next sort of big step as a couple is, uh, is having the Thrive Center. We launched um, last fall officially, and um, it's just been, it's picking up speed and, and we're really grateful, really grateful to the community and really grateful to be doing the work that we love. There's always a need for counselors. There's always a need for therapists and there's always a need for people to seek that mental health support. And so I think that that's, this is great work that the two of you are doing. And I'm really glad that you guys merged together and found each other and, and decided to embark on, uh, on entrepreneurship and, and go into business together. How has it been so far, by the way? Awesome. I, I'm excited. I mean, I, I love it. I really do. I mean, I love EMDR. I'm, I'm training for, you know, within integrative family systems, which I just think is just a beautiful marriage as Catherine and I are. We, yeah. Our skills really complement each other. Um, but I think the next step forward um, to add to the business is Catherine's launching um, some late fall groups, which I, again, is another affordable way for people to access service. And I love group work. Um, but it's, yeah, it's felt, it's felt really, really amazing. Um, I really like the, the diversity in the people I work with. 
from everybody from, you know, government again, to military, to veterans, to um, again, a lot of people in the uh, 2S LGBTQIA community. It's really been opening um, to, to everybody. A lot of people say, well, who do you work with specifically? Because some people just work with people with anxiety disorders or people that just mm -hmm. work with, I just work with this category. And I'm like, I, I really love the diversity um, of working with everybody. Um, I mean, everybody's welcome at the Thrive Center. All right. And my final hard-hitting question for you both. Who is one local boss babe that inspires both of you that you think everyone should know about? Well, definitely you, Holly. Absolutely. Um, I'm actually going to um, call out two that I I personally like um, have utilized in Smith's Falls specifically. So we have a business in Smith's Falls called The Craft Witch. Um, and they're on Russell Street. Um a wonderful female owner, but I have to say, not only are they like a crafts store, but they offer workshops and lots of like community engagement, community building oh. kind of stuff. And the other one is Bone Appetit. Um, so B-O-N-E Appetit, which is a pet food store here in Smith Falls, again, owned by two women who are just like, create the most welcoming space. And you can go in there anytime and get exactly what you need. And Talk about multitasking. I mean, one woman had a baby and is now literally the baby is there all the time. So you get to not only have your pet experience, but, you know, just see women just making things work and adapting to whatever life is throwing at them. So highly recommend those two businesses. Well, I really appreciate you both taking the time out of your Friday evenings, because this is when this podcast is being recorded, and, and creating such an inclusive and welcoming conversation with me this evening. We went and reached different levels that I did not expect us to go on, but I'm really grateful that we did, because I think that this this podcast episode is really going to um, shed a light on on mental wellness and, and different avenues of what that looks like. And I really think that having this conversation is progressive, and we're moving forward in that regard. So thank you both. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate sure. you creating this opportunity, Holly. Thank you. Yeah. Now, where can everybody find the Thrive Center on uh, like plug your website and location? And if you guys are, are taking on new clients or patients at this time. So we're absolutely welcoming new clients. Tori's side of the business is certainly filling, but she still has space. My side of the business uh, still has a number of uh, opportunities for anyone who wants to come in. Um, our website is thrivesmithsfalls.ca. And um, I would encourage anyone to check out the website. We've got our bios, lots of information about, you know, frequently asked questions and the types of services that we offer. And then if, you know, we mentioned earlier that finances can be a challenge. If anyone is, you know, perhaps doesn't have insurance or is sort of dealing with some financial challenges, reach out to us nonetheless. We do offer a sliding scale and we would negotiate that with people on an individual basis. Um, we are located in Smith Falls. It's at 25 Daniel Street. But the only thing that we do ask is that everyone please book in advance. The uh, center is not able to accommodate walk-in clients, but um, you can book in for a free 15 meet and greet uh, session, 15 minute meet and greet session with us. And we'd really be happy to meet with you. Well, babes, that's it for another week of OB Boss Babes podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of our community. If you're a first time listener, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. If you're a regular listener, tell another business owner how much you love our podcast and who knows, maybe you or they might get featured next. Come back on Wednesday for our Boss Babe Corner mini series for more entrepreneurial features across the Ottawa Valley, Lanark County, and the Pontiac.